Hello, Douglas Kelton. How are you today? I'm fine. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Uh, this is today's Spooks. Spooks, that's S-B-O-O-K-S. With us today, and well, he's yet to join us, is Michael J. Malone, poet, author, and we're just speaking about him as he appears. It's Michael Malone. Michael Malone, ladies and gentlemen, I was just describing you as poet, author, all-round good guy. Um, I'll do that. I'll do that. Good, good, good. No, I mean, I'm, I'm only just in mid-flow yet. I mean, you give me a second. Uh, um, you sit under a pyramid at home, I know that. Um, <laughs> You play Tim and Tom in a famous sketch by Douglas Skelton we all, that we all know and love so much. I'm I Tim. Do. We could do a wee bit of that later, you and me, couldn't we? I'm Tim. <laughs> you, you, haven't, you haven't done the good. You're supposed to say, I'm Tom. <clears throat> and, 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 so you've, you've written, I think you've had published in various magazines and things. Uh, um, around what is it, nine hundred poems or something? <laughs> Two hundred. Two hundred. All right, so pretty close. Well, I wasn't far away there. My, my research didn't mm-hmm. let me down, um, Douglas. Uh, and uh, <laughs> you've also got a number of highly acclaimed and successful books to your name. Um, one, uh, uh, what, what the latest of which is called Michael. It's called In the Absence of Miracles. In the Absence of Miracles, out with uh, Arenda books, as are some of your more, I think you say your sort of literary fiction is out with Arenda, and your crime fiction has been published by Contraband, is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Main. Um, so, but a from all this noise, is that you, Douglas? Is that? Uh, no, it's not me. Who's making that noise? It's highly offensive to Spook's readers. My yeah, listeners, oh, there's something, there's something going on there in Ayrshire. Well, today in Spooks, we'll get around to it properly. We're joined by two Ayrshire authors, one your regular co-host, Douglas Skelton, and the fabulous Michael Malone, who, aside from writing poetry and uh, books, highly acclaimed books, is also a practitioner of hypnotism. Tell us a bit uh, about that, Mike. Well, it's hypnotherapy, to give it as... Oh. Rather than because uh, some people or quite a few people have a kind of um, negative reaction to the word hypnotism, so I think it's important we add in the therapy part of that. <clears throat> sort of set the record straight. So yeah, what was it? What, what was the therapy when you had me clucking like a chicken? This is what I want to know. What kind of therapy I, was that? See, that's exactly why I add in the therapy because Douglas. <laughs> <laughs> um. But, yeah, but people do have uh, that whole stage show idea of um, hypnosis and uh, people who could be helped by it won't go because because of that sort of negative stereotype. Um, so yeah. yeah, it can be uh, really helpful for some people. Uh, and, and and I think it's fair to say when Douglas was clucking like a chicken, they'd want to do a talisker than it had to do with hypnotherapy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think that would be quite a summation of the situation. <laughs> yes. So you're 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 getting on with all this. This is your sort of, of sideline. But in the mm-hmm. main, you're a 
director, a writer, and a very yeah. successful one at, at that. I know you'd worked in various jobs before. When and where did you begin? What was your first, the first thing you actually had published, Michael? The, the first thing I had published would have been a poem. Uh, and that would be probably oh, late 90s. Um, I joined my local writers club in uh, 96. And basically, I wanted to learn more about writing novels. But I went to a few workshops and various various types of things and found I had a facility for poetry. I send stuff out to literary magazines and happily, some of them got published. Uh, and, and we all remember the first time we saw our, our work in print. And how did that feel for, for you? Has that thrill ever left you? Oh, absolutely not. It's, um, it's always uh, a really pleasing validation, isn't it? So you're, you're stuck in your wee office writing away with no clue what you're doing is any good. And then somebody says, yeah, I'll publish that. So it's, uh, it's hugely Yeah, I mean, I, I, know, I know that Douglas um, spoke to Mr. Caxton personally the, the first time he saw his work. <laughs> and, I, showed him, and... <laughs> I, sh- I showed him how to put it all together as well. Uh, the the inventor of the printing press was really Douglas Skelton, ladies and gentlemen. Yep. You heard first here in Spooks, and no doubt that'll be repeated across the um, literary sphere with, with regularity and, and very soon. So, I said, Michael, if you, I said, if you want to spell that word that way, I'm going to knock your block off. <laughs> and I bet you, Mister Caxton, just fell about there. Yeah. <laughs> he, he cax, he caxton it. <laughs> Oh, oh my goodness. goodness. <laughs> that, that was not fun too far. I'm Tim. Um, now, people don't get this, I'm Tim, I'm Tom thing, but one day, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to do a Tim and Tom sketch here in, in Spooks, so you know what we're, going to, we're talking about. And, and Michael will be one of the performers, and you'll get to hear the true joy of Tim and Tom. Yeah. Now, so when did you graduate from poetry to to um, uh, novels and, and um, of, of, I think it was crime, was it crime first? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I wrote, uh, I started off writing a novel, I, uh, I think about 20 odd thousand words written when I joined the Air Writers Club, but then as I say, I got distracted um, with the success of the poetry, but it was a novelist I always wanted to be. Um, sure. So while I was writing all these two novels as well, which were probably the first book I ever wrote, actually, um, became In the Absence of Miracles. So I wrote the first draft of that way back in 1996. Right. Um, and so it's taken all that uh, time to come to the gestation. Yes, yes. Or fruition, even. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, and there's quite, there's quite a, kind of, a long story to that, which I don't want to bore you your listeners with, but certainly... No, uh, please don't. Gonna... Douglas does that all the time. He tells us long stories about <laughs> all sorts of stuff. And, you know, no, 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 but I mean, uh, you know, from 1996 to, to you know, 19, 2019, it's a long Aye. time, isn't it? it? Absolutely is. And, and I think to some degree it, it needed that period of time. Um, I kind of got, as I say, I wrote the first draft. I actually got an agent for it. And mm-hmm. then the agent, um, as far as I remember, submitted it to two publishers, um, Macmillan and someone else. And I remember that was my very first um, 
rejection from a publisher said it was eloquently written, but not for them. And uh, I kind of took that as a kind of positive. But the agent then stopped doing the literary stuff and bought a TV show, TV station. And so I, I was dumped along with the rest of his authors. So that kind of kicked the stuffing out of me because you, you always like to get your agent, you think, yes, that, that's that. That's but, Mickey back uh, in the background, in case you don't know, ladies and gentlemen. Um, uh, Mickey makes his way onto another podcast. It was Douglas's phone last week. He, he generally um, makes a guest appearance at some point. Yes, Mickey. They, they so are good voice. Spooks. Oh, yeah, he's, 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 he's always sounding good. What's he batting at today, Douglas? Absolutely no idea. <laughs> don't even think he does. I think he's just saying, it's awful quiet in that room. He's not said anything. I'd better say something. Well, he's quite right. So, so this guy, I'm intrigued by this agent that bought a television station. It was his, it was his name, you know, Murdoch or something. <laughs> no, no. Um, I actually can't remember his name. It was that long was it, not, was it not Noel Gay? Uh, who's he? No, obviously it wasn't then. <laughs> all right. So is that another one of your jokes that just gone over my head, Douglas? No, no, not at all. Um, not at all. And- over everybody said that. I just thought that it's was not, a name. It's not a joke. It's just a name that came into my head, and I I, I thought it was somebody <laughs> that had bought, who was an agent who had bought a television station. So c- clearly not. So if if uh, the real Noel Gay is listening, I do apologise. It's you know I didn't mean to say that you'd you'd changed uh, <laughs> uh, careers in any sort of way. I mean, I, we were talking about gender fluidity last week, so Douglas is still on that subject quite clearly with Noel Gay there. Anyway, um, so. You moved on from from to your temporarily sort of put uh, that book to the side a wee bit. Clearly, yeah. clearly still working on it. And then, mm-hmm. what did you go? What 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 was first published, uh, Michael? The first novel published was uh, Blood Tears. So that was my first crime novel in the McBain and O'Neill series, and right. that was published by a small. Uh, publisher in based in Nottingham called Five Leaves. Ah, uh-huh. so that was how did that? How did, how did it do? Uh, okay, um, again, you, you know what it's like with, with smaller publishers, they don't have the same reach in terms of getting books into bookshops. Um, so it actually came out 2012, uh, just before the London Olympics, and uh-huh. I remember this quite a bit quite vividly because this is the one and only time I've ever had a good idea in terms of publishing. So right. I, I I said to the publisher, I, said, I was getting the impression that in the early moments of the Olympic game, people were getting a wee bit kind of, um, they weren't up for it initially. And I says, right, why don't we do, are you able to do like a promotion maybe for the first weekend of the Olympics, say, if you're, if you're fed up with this, already, why don't you buy a book? And here's my book and it's 99 pence or whatever. So he said, yeah, let's, let's go for it. Um, and the book, it was 18,000 downloads we had in the first weekend. That's superb, wasn't it? Aye, it went, it went to the top of the charts. Um, and then, we, no, sorry, it was free for the first couple of days. And then they made it 99 oh. pence. And then they made it 140. I can't remember exactly. But anyway, my claim to fame is that I was then at the top of the page charts, but number three, sandwiched between, and I use that word advisedly, the Fifty Shades books. Oh, so, unlucky. 
<laughs> and, 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 and like you, you'd have been right up there. I hope that it wasn't from Mister Fifty Shades. Uh, uh, but, uh, but, but I mean, I know that you you, you could probably teach um, El James a thing or two about all the, the sexual stuff, Michael. But we won't get into that. <laughs> we, we won't get into that Let's that not. kind of thing. That that tantric sex thing you do, you know, that skin sting does. I know it's okay. We don't need to mention it. It's just embarrassing. We'll get uh, Douglas mentioned something, but no gay again. Ah, good, good. I'm glad to hear it. It's bad for your health at our age. We're all getting on a bit. And, uh, so that was, a, and as we all know, as Douglas knows as well, um, the Kindle, uh, the, the Kindle landscape has changed beyond recognition yeah. in that short, even that short time from 2012 to 2020. It's nothing like what it was then. Um, and it's so much harder now that the, the unlimited coming coming on stream has really altered the the whole model, in my, in my opinion. Discuss, yeah, yeah. Douglas. Uh, all right, Douglas, you say something. Say something, um, Douglas. Sorry, I'm all that talk about tantric sex and and uh, sandwiched <laughs> between things. I've I've had to go and lie down. That's oh, too much for a man of my age. Don't don't go any further, please. You didn't you didn't go and lie in the daybed, did you? Oh, no, <laughs> I'll never see him again. No, uh, no. he's just a guest had to lie down on the floor. I couldn't make it to the daybed. I was so overcome. Well, just just try and calm calm your jets, so to speak. Uh, um, Douglas is actually having guests. Somebody's going to try has the pleasure of trying out the daybed for the first time, probably in, in the weekend before he goes to Spain. And um, I'm I'm just wondering who the poor person is going to be, the first guinea pig that has to sleep on the daybed. <laughs> I, I forgot what I forgot what the question was. What was the question? What was that about Kindle or something? We're talking in a serious fashion about the the landscape of Kindle and how it's changed so so much over the last, even since the likes of I think we're all published around about the same time, twenty twelve. You were twenty thirteen, right, Douglas? Well, your oh, first... I, I was I was published in the early nineties. Yes, before, I, before, before Kindle you... was a glint, and before Amazon was a glint in anybody's eye, really, I suppose. But that, um, that that was your true your your non-fiction stuff, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. And that's before you came a convert to a convert to Sunday Campbelltonian there. Before before, say... before I got to do what I really wanted to do, which was fiction. Yeah, <laughs> it has changed uh, even in the. The eight years or so, um, seven or eight years since I've I've, I've been doing the fiction game, uh, quite quite incredibly. It's it, it's it's still huge, but I keep seeing reports that it's not as huge as it was, uh, and I've I've no way of knowing if that's true. To be honest, I think the fact is about Kindle is it's plateaued a wee bit. Um, I think I think when when Kindle first came to the fore, 2010, 2012, 2013, everyone thought it was the death of of books and of pr the printed word, but in actual fact, it's that's not been the case. Um, and uh, you know, things have of prints had a resurgence, as we know. Audiobooks have arrived and taken a big slice of everything. So it's a complicated business. Who would be a publisher, gentlemen? Mm. Yeah, no, not, not, not me. <laughs> not I, me. I, yeah, I, I don't have a business anyway, but certainly I, I think it would be a, a real nightmare. And, you know, the publishers that pull it off, you, you, you know, you've got to praise them. Praise them. Praise <laughs> them. 
That's the one, Douglas. Next time you see Mr. Andrew, you just praise yeah. him. Oh, Lord. <laughs> that's, the, that's the stuff. Uh, anyway, Michael, back to you, because you're the guest of honour on today's Spooks. By the way, Spooks is available across platforms, Spotify, Apple, Google, you know, you can, you know, Radio, Radio Republic. Um, it's, it's just everywhere. You know, you can get spooks anywhere. And with us in spooks is Michael Malone, poet, author, hypnotherapist, and all around jolly good chap. So, Michael, crime. Why did mm-hmm. you choose crime? I had a dream, Denzel. Uh, What's I, dream. <laughs> <laughs> I had a dream. Um, and in the, the dream, I'd written a, a book. Uh, some of your listeners may have heard this before, actually, but it's true. So anyway, what happened yep. was, I had, and you know how the dream fades as you go about your, your morning, but there was one central image that stuck with me, and that was of a guy in front of a mirror with a hand, and right. the, other hand was, the other hand was holding a white mask over his face. So right. He nicked his lower eyelid with the, the scalpel and then pressed the mask against it. So there was a tear of blood running down his the cheek of the white mask. Um, I see. I know, it's quite dramatic, isn't it? So it is. sure it just wasn't, wasn't a night out with Douglas, <laughs> was it? <laughs> it? It was the thought of the day, Ben. I was so... <laughs> <laughs> but in advance, obviously, because I'm just prescient. So anyway, I not interested in your private life. I thought I've I've got to use this. This is a, a brilliant image, and um, so this was about 2003 actually, and yeah. um, I wrote it. I wrote it down in the old kind of what if scenario. You know how you see that's the engine of plot. I kind of wrote this scene out and I thought, well, what if this is a serial killer and this is him celebrating every time he kills someone? And then I thought, right, if I've got a serial killer, I need a cop. So I started to write about this cop called Raymond Bain. And that was me. I was a crime writer. Because I never, ever, I'd, I'd written two novels at this One of them was what became In the Absence of Miracles and one of them yeah. was what became A Suitable Lie. Um, but they were both kind of shelved after my agent bent me. And then I started to see this one in 2003. Um, I submitted it to the Scottish Association of Writers and it won the Crime Novel Prize. And I thought, uh-huh. hey, that's me. That's me, I've cried. But that was 2003 and it took me to get that book published. So it was quite a, quite a sort of roller coaster, shall we say. Yeah, I mean, I think we've all had those times in our careers, three of us certainly. I mean, my first publisher, I mean, <laughs> what can I say? <laughs> so you haven't read it? What, what, what can you say that, 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 that you actually should say on the podcast? That's, I think, the question. No, well, I mean, I'm desperate for the guy to sue me because he owes me thousands, and if he does sue me, I'll win. So, you know, this is the, what he did was, um, with one of the other authors that was, was with us on, on that, but I'll not mention the name of the publisher, but you know who you are, Sandy. And um, he, he decided what he would do was, this guy said, listen, I'm fed up going into bookshops and I can't find my book anywhere. So he got his wife, he got his wife to come, in, come into a bookshop 
place the book on a bookshelf, a well-known bookshop in Edinburgh, place the book on the bookshelf, take a photograph of it, pick the book up, put it back in a handbag, and off she went and sent <laughs> <laughs> Look, there you are. That's you and Watson's now. Um, you're laughing. So that's the kind of thing. Um, and, and if Sandy is listening, please take me to court immediately and uh, get that money that you owe me. On anyway. that note, on that note, can Mr. Malone and I please uh, assure any listeners that we are disassociating ourselves from Mr. Myrick and his <coughs> comments? They, they are his views and his alone. Well, they're not views. So it's, fact. it's fact, Douglas. It was the most, and the sad thing for me is that 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 is one of the saddest things I think, in all seriousness, about publishing at the moment is there are not just that's not a single incident. I mean, I've I've spoken to writers who've had very bad experiences with, with so-called micro-publishers. They're promised the world. Some of them even pay money up front. I mean, that's not unusual. Now, I've heard a lot about that on the internet. And it seems to be becoming more common that uh, people are paying to these, these, these companies who are ruthless and just taking advantage of, of the likes of Amazon's direct publishing setup to call themselves publishers and when, in fact, they haven't got a clue what they're doing. And... Um, People are being promised the world, and, and, and it's a very difficult situation to be in. Uh, would you not agree? Absolutely. And the vanity publishing for millennia, it's just and people prey on those who are desperate to get the work into publication. Yeah, it's nasty, and it needs to be stopped. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's goes to me. It goes in tandem with with uh, the piracy situation that we seem to have. I mean, it's, which just seems to be getting worse and worse. I heard I saw James Oswald, who will be with us um, at, at the end of this week. Um, he put something up on Twitter today about yeah, another person on Twitter advertising books for free. Click on here and get James Oswald for absolutely nothing. And um, ladies and gentlemen, I mean, I don't know if I'm sh- quite sure you all, most of you know how this works is that authors need to be paid for what they write or there won't be any more books. But I think, oftentimes, I think oftentimes when they, with these things, it's not actually even a book that you get, it's a virus. So it's a way yeah. to. Yes, absolutely. Good point. Yeah, a lot of these sites are dangerous. They're phishing sites. You really don't know what you're downloading uh, and leaving yourself to to all sorts of nastiness in the future. Yeah, I think that's a very serious point well made. Uh, You know, download this book, but also comes, they can now read your whole history. You know, there's somebody in a foreign claim looking at everything you've ever done in your computer, which is is not, not welcome. Yeah. A lot of you're literally not going back to. We went off on a tangent there, as we often do in spooks. <laughs> um, we, you've written crime and you've written the more serious. I won't say serious, but more cerebral, perhaps mm-hmm. more dealing with <clears throat> real life issues. Um, tell us a bit about the absence of miracles and you know what is predicated upon because it is a it is. It is rooted in family and rooted in um, the person, the character. The characters are the plot, if you like. Yeah, well, it starts. The book starts off with the main character called. He's called John. He's a thirty, a single man with a, a girlfriend. He's a teacher, um, and his mother is 
turned into a nursing home after suffering in a severe stroke. He realises he's got to sell the family home to pay for her care. And when he goes to the house, um, he tripped down memory lane because he's not for a long time. And when he's clearing out, and he's looking to clear out the house, he's going to make yep. an assessment of what needs to get done. He comes across evidence that he had a brother who disappeared when he himself was just a baby. So mm-hmm. that sets him off on a sort of, if you can call it that, to find out the truth behind his family. And in doing so, he's forced to come to terms with his own past. And this isn't the first time you've used really personal subjects. I mean, you know, friends that look at at the dynamics of family and the dynamics of relationships. You did it with a previous book, which discussed domestic violence, but with a different twist. Can you tell us about that one, please? Yeah, that that was called A Suitable Lie. And that was where the main character, name is he was abused by his wife. Um, so, so yeah, it was domestic violence from the point of view of a male victim. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is very unusual. I'm, I'm not saying it's very unusual. I mean, I think it's quite usual in, in real life. I don't think this is by any means unusual, but it's unusual for somebody to have written a book about it. I, I don't know of that many, actually. And, and I can only think of one movie, a TV mm-hmm. movie that was out in, oh, God, uh, probably the early 2000s which kind of covered the subject. So, yeah, it's not a very talked about. But I think, I think it's getting more um, more discussion nowadays. There was an article in the papers just the other day talking about how the, the levels of male victims coming forward increasing quite, quite massively. And mm-hmm. I think it's down to sort of stories coming out um, and I think people hear that um, they're not alone, that it's happening to other people, more likely to come forward and, and seek help. So if I've, if I've contributed to the conversation, then I'm really pleased about that. Yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've read a lot of great feedback about that book, and, and indeed in the absence of miracles, and a lot of your writing. And I agree with you, having read both books, that that, that um, you have the handy knack of approaching things from 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 angles that, that one might not expect and, and are refreshing and innovative. And mm-hmm. that's the last time I'm going to end saying nice to you. For the, <laughs> the, the, the rest of your life. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm done. Don't go that far. I mean, for the rest of the podcast. <laughs> Douglas, you must have pressing questions to ask Mr. Malone. Yeah, yeah, Michael. <clears throat> and I've asked you this before, but... Um, so tell us about being the writer in residence at a sex shop. Oh God! Um, th- no need to call my... me God. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> my my claim to fame. So yeah, my time as a as a poet. Um, there was a, 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 a right. Okay, a woman who came to a few of my readings, <laughs> who then uh-huh. sort of. Approached me afterwards and said that um, she was picking up a sex shop. <laughs> and, right. Uh, she, was, she was a former teacher, actually. Um, All right, but, that's good. That uh, validates me nicely. <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, uh, 
grown the pile of her occupation, shall we say. So anyway, she thought it was her mission um, to do this kind of And um, in her view, the biggest organ was the brain. And she quite liked the idea of some poems going in the shop, um, some sensual poems behind the, the sex toys. Um, and people could, uh, it would be nice to calligraphy, nice calligraphy and, and in a nice frame. Um, and then people would, would buy these. So uh, I, think I, I think I wrote, if I remember, I wrote maybe two or three poems and I helped her with some press releases and stuff. Right. So what kind of poems are we talking about? Is it, you know, there was a young man called Mick. Is it that sort of thing? Or... <laughs> <laughs> and and the dear listener, provide your own rhyme for that. Um, <laughs> no. There's lots of listeners very, abroad. It was, it was uh, sort of cerebral and um, emotive. And uh, element kitties on the sex life of Douglas Skelton in his daybed. No. Um, <laughs> listen, listen, see if it was my sex life, it would be a haiku. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the, the third stanza would be very short, shorter than it should possibly not be traditionally. So that means, based on this conversation, Michael, any time I see Douglas Skelton, I can just shout him, Hey, Douglas, you're an absolute brain. <laughs> yeah, that would work. I've, just, I've just got this image of you fleeting through this sex shop amongst the various implements <laughs> and clothes and things, <laughs> whispering poetry into people's ears. And I, that'll take me a long time to, to dismiss from my memory, um, I'm quite sure. But I'll, I'll try my best um, over the weekend to, to get that out of my head. Future writing, Douglas. Douglas? Uh, Michael. Um, what's next? Right, well, I'm about halfway through my next novel. It's called A uh, Song of Isolation, uh, which I'm quite fond of. And it's about a young actress whose boyfriend has just been accused of molesting the next door neighbour's child. Uh, so, <clears throat> excuse me. I don't want to say too much more than that. I'm still trying to work out how to talk about this novel. I've not finished, as I've just said, I've not finished it yet. So I'm still at that stage of trying to work out how I describe the book. But that's essentially the, the story in a wee kind of nutshell. It's based on a, a true story, actually. Um, so and it's, it's a topic. Sorry? That sounds fascinating. Hopefully readers will think so. So yeah, it's, it's another, another tough, tough thing to write about. So that's a song of isolation. That's the next book you're working on, and is that one of your your? Uh, I'll call it an arenda book, for want of a better description. Well, that's exactly because it's arenda who will be publishing it. In and I've got to give a wee shout out to Karen Sullivan here, who is the is arenda in many ways, because I think if there's a harder working person on the planet. I've yet to meet them. Um, she's, a, she's a force of nature, as Karen. She's really good. She yeah, certainly is. She's... <clears throat> I don't know how. I don't think she sleeps actually. She no. Certainly, she at least twenty hours a day. It's, it's ridiculous the amount of work that woman does. It's unbelievable. 
And she does so well. I mean, she gets wonderful publicity and she really, really helps her authors. I mean, I, I've been, she's pointed me in the direction of a couple of our writers and I've been pleased to read their books and, and enjoyed them. Uh, one of them being Chilola Dahl, who I appeared at the Edinburgh Festival a couple of years ago with, um, whose books I've, I've subsequently all enjoyed. And he's a really good writer and he, he does crime, but like yourself, he, he also... Um, goes into other and other genres as well, and uh, so she brings up um, anti anti one of her discoveries as well, and yeah, he yeah. also is a, a really really good good writer. Have, have you read him, Michael? I have, and I think Anti's brilliant. He's a hilarious guy um, in the flesh, and that comes across in his books. He's, he's very very funny. Um, Not he's funny as me, obviously. Well. <laughs> Huh. Douglas terminated Michael's contract immediately. <laughs> uh, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, we'll not be publishing episode number two in season two because of Michael Malone's hesitation. Have you read uh, Antitumen and um, Douglas? No, no, no. Oh, have you even no. heard of Antitumen? Yes, I've oh, you, 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 you broke up there. Tell me again. I've even met him. Oh, you see, I've never let go because you met Douglas Skelton, the man that's met everybody who's written anything in the last sixty years. Uh, and what was he? Was he hilarious? Yeah, he was very funny. He was, and I've met his partner, Uncle Truman. Oh, oh God, I'm Tim. I'm Tim. What are you? I'm 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 We'll tell you the whole story of this one day, and it involves me with my dear lady wife sitting at a rehearsal. <laughs> for for an evening show at which I was going to appear and I wasn't aware of it but according to Fiona and to Michael and Douglas my face, my jaw was getting lower and lower and lower as the, <laughs> the rehearsal proceeded anyway, Mr Skelton who is in charge of content in many ways um, well, some content. Well, a, bit, a smidgen of it. He tells me that we should discuss, also discuss. While you're here, Michael, we should discuss TV dramas. Douglas, yeah. take it. Away. Yeah, I think I think we should. I, th I think you know, we all watch TV in, in various ways, and there's there's so many different ways to watch it. Um, I've got Council TV and Sky, and that's it. Um, but you guys have, have such, you know, have the, the panoply before you of, of, all, of everything that can be downloaded and streamed and squirted, um, if I can say that, after, you know, after the discussion about the sex shop. But um, so what have we been watching in the, in the past wee while and uh, either enjoying or not enjoying? Michael, what have you, what have you even, even a movie, if there's been anything that you've, you've particularly enjoyed? Well, I've, I've just actually I've been, my plan for this evening actually is to watch the next episode of The Outsider. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. Based on the Stephen, Stephen King novel. I watched yeah. the first, first, first couple of episodes. Um, so I'm due to watch episode three and I think episode four. I'm kind of saving yep. it up so that I'm watching it in a big um, two-hour slot, actually. It's, uh, it's incredibly well done. I think oh, the, the it's, it's been very good. Yeah, it's I, been very I'm good. I've really been impressed with that, actually. It's, it's always difficult to watch when you've, you've read the book that it's based on, because um, you, you come to it with a certain expectation. Um, but certainly, so far, the, the way this has been developed is top-notch, so I'm really looking forward to the rest of it. 
Yeah, I mean, I mean I, when you said the outsider there, I thought it was something about bread. <laughs> and uh, and I uh, would have and some people have said it's called more understander. Again, I don't mean dough as it well I do. Um <laughs> yeah, the heel of it. For those of you outside Scotland probably, the, the outsider is the back slice of bread which especially if you've got a, a pan a, a plain loaf, which we get here, which is like an oblong. It's very it's very complicated. You'd have to see it to understand it. <clears throat> but you can't beat a pan a pan loaf outsider with your tomato soup, can you now? Oh absolutely toasted, big thick with butter, just amazing. Can you whack yep. it? Absolutely. You can't whack it, as they say here in northern climes. Um, now, I, I, to answer Douglas's question from my point of view, I don't tend to watch a great deal of crime fiction, nor read a great deal of crime fiction. Um, on, on te- I don't, certainly not on TV. Some of the things I have watched, you know, I know that everybody loves Line of Duty, but all the, I've just seen the OCG. He's with the HLF. Have you seen the OCM? No, no, he's with the DSB. And you think to yourself, what? I appeared at Granite Noir with another author called Kate London, who was an ex-metropolitan uh, metropolitan police, a Met police um, detective. And she absolutely deplored it, and she got tore right in. She got tore right in about um, Jed Mercurio and, and, and Line of Duty, and I didn't think it was that bad. But, uh, you know, it's obviously a hugely popular series. But as Douglas and I were discussing earlier on, um, I think they get away with things on television, and certainly in that programme, that if we put down the next review in Amazon or Goodreads or whatever would be unbelievable. Just couldn't, couldn't. This, 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 this was completely out there. Just, just completely, not complete nonsense. And 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 that's a thing in t- with TV, isn't it? I'll, I'll give you an example, a recent example. And this, <clears throat> this is um, Deadwater Fell, which is which is on Channel Four at the moment. Now I've been enjoying it. It's it's four weeks long, so that's good because one of my major complaints about just about everything is that things are too long. Uh, I found Broadchurch eight weeks far too long and far too padding. But Deadwater eight weeks. But the thing about uh, this is that you have the situation where there's a character who is a police sergeant in this Scottish village where it's set, who is a close friend of the victims and the suspect and is is not only allowed to be part of the investigation, but it also reveals he's discovered that the suspect, played by David Tennant, uh, has slept with his girlfriend. And he's still on the investigation team. Investigation. Now, a lot of people don't care. Um, I've seen people say that the procedural uh, things don't matter. But you're right, Denzel. I think if we put that in a book, somebody would go on but why would they, surely they would not allow that man to be part of the investigation you get away with things on TV that yeah. we get away with in print as you said and I think that's a good example but you know I've got to say I am enjoying the series I think it's really good uh, David Tennant is, is really really good in it uh, and I would recommend people to watch it but just as a crime writer that's one of these wee things that starts to, to niggle at you about it so why do, you, why do TV and movie people get away with uh, these kind of things, whereas we don't as novelists? It's more immediate. Yeah, it's the, it, for me, it's the immediacy of the, the medium. Yeah. Um, and people, 
watch something and they don't absorb it in the same way as you do a book. Because with a book by its very nature, you know, it's very personal to yourself and you you absorb it in a different way. Therefore, I think you're more engaged with it. So you you tend to think about what the content is more. Um, and um, we've got to a situation now in Scottish crime fiction, I think especially, though I think it's quite widespread throughout the UK, whereby there's more and more research being done into the various forensic and DNA techniques employed by the police and I think that's fine. And if that's the book you want to write, there was a thing, there's even a course at Dundee University now about it, which I was talking to somebody about the other day. Um, and if that's what you're, the bag you're into and that's the kind of book you want to write, great. But you, you, dare, not, you dare not get all that, that uh, um, DNA and forensic stuff right after researching it for a long, long time and then make a basic mistake like the one Douglas has talked about in, in, that, in that TV series, um, which is something that wouldn't happen. And, and I do find that, that uh, I've, I've read a couple of books where the forensic stuff has been amazingly and obviously very well researched, and then basic, basic mistakes have been made when it comes to the way um, even what, what a, a, a sergeant would call a, a DC or something, something of that nature. Uh, and I think that's where you've got to be very careful. And I'm not sure how interested um, the reader is in the gen general police procedure, because if you were to sit in on a real murder inquiry, you'd be bored to tears. Yeah. So by the very nature of its existence, crime fiction is a... Is, 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 uh, it, it is artificial. It's, it's by, by yeah. its very nature, it's artificial. And we, and we do have to take certain liberties. So time periods are telescoped down, you know, in books, even in books, uh, in order to, to, to keep the pace up. More so on TV, uh, things are brought down in order to, to maintain pace. So we, we will do certain things. But you're right, we can't adhere... Uh, you know, religiously to every piece of procedure. Uh, but and that one that I've talked about, I don't think it's a mistake necessarily. I think it's just that's what, you know, the writer wanted to do and they wanted to, to do it that way. I, 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 it's just something that grated a bit with me. Uh, but sometimes if, it, if, it's, if it's done to suit the plot rather than the, the character, then that's annoying. And as a, as a viewer or as a reader, you feel cheated. So I think you have to be careful. Yeah, I think you have to be. Yeah. Anyway, well, what else? Yeah. Well, what else? Well, uh, I watched. I watched Wisting. Now I'm a great. Douglas isn't a fan of um, Wisting. Is a is a Norwegian drama. Um, I, I love the I love the uh, the BBC Four Saturday Night uh, dramas, and Wisting is one of one of those. Um, and I didn't really enjoy that, and uh, and I've watched a lot. Of Spiral is another favourite. The French, oh, Spiral, the French Spiral, drama, brilliant. I love that. It's an amazing. Yeah, movie. it's really good. There's been a few. The Bridge, another another one, which I thought was was superb. It'd be nice to give a, a wee shout out actually on the Westing thing. It's based on a series of books by John Lear Horst. It's published by a Scottish publisher. Really? Oh, well, now there, that's something I didn't know. Hi, absolutely. And um, Jorn is absolutely massive in Norway. He's kind of like a one-man in publishing industry. He's just hugely, hugely successful. He's, he's not sold so well in the UK. Hopefully this new series <clears throat> will, will help get his name out there. 
I did enjoy it. It was a strange configuration of this series, Michael, in that they played two seasons, I think, back to back. Or oh, whether they were supposed to be co joined, I don't know. But they, they solved one mystery and it bled into the next. And I don't think that worked particularly well because the second, the second um, series, if you like, to me wasn't as compelling as the first. But that's probably nothing to do with the author and much more to do with the way the TV show was was uh, configured. Oh, yeah. Douglas, what about you? Sorry, you cut out there. What? What about you? Hello, are you there? Is, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, what, what's, what else has caught your eye? I've been watching uh, White House White House Farm, uh, which is a, 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 a true crime drama, as you were. It's a dramatisation of the uh, Jeremy uh, Bamber case. Oh yes, uh, I've seen that, mm-hmm. and and that's 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 really good as well. Very very, very interesting. It's, it seems to have sparked all sorts of things about the original case, and of course Bamber still insists um, that he's innocent. And there's been a lot of discussion on on social media uh, about that that I've, I've read a, a bit of, uh, but not too much. But the drama itself is good. Mark Addy is is as usual, uh, brilliant. Um, Stephen Graham is in it with with a Welsh accent. Uh, which well, much criticised Welsh accent. Might quite work, um, but then uh, who am I to say? But it, it doesn't quite work for me. Uh, but overall, I, I think it's it's a very good production. Well, I haven't watched it yet, but I'm going to watch it. And also, I did watch um, the trial of Christine Keeler, which which came to its conclusion. Yeah. Last last night, which I thought was very good. Michael, have you seen that one? Um, no, I haven't actually. I, this is quite weird, but I tend not to watch stuff that's on like um, BBC, ITV, Channel 4. I just tend to watch stuff that's been streamed for some reason. I don't know. Whether that's what, are you some sort of elitist, Mr. Mr. Malone? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I just like to sit down when I want to sit down and watch something when I want to watch it rather than... Um, yeah, that, that, that's... You know, that's why you. I mean, I, I I don't watch things live. I tend to record just about everything I, but, that I watch. But I've also got another bad habit: is when I record something, I don't. No. Watch it. <laughs> <laughs> but that, I mean, you can. You, I thought you were going to connect with someone else there. Going to be back to the sex shop poet. He's, but, he's but, um, full of little peccadillos, isn't he? I'm sure he is. Yes, that's and uh, for those of you. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, I mean, but you are aware, Michael, that you can watch stuff in your own time on the BBC iPlayer or the ITV Play Hub or or oh, the, the Channel that. Four. I think I, I don't know why, but I don't watch much home-produced TV. I te- I prefer uh, American or French. As I said, I've started watching a French series last night on Netflix, and it's got what's that called? Uh, I can't remember some bonfire at the at the is Actress is in um, Spiral with the the redhead, the redheaded lady. Um, oh yes, uh huh. She's she a lawyer. The actress is redhead. You pay close attention to this, I can tell. The <clears throat> redheaded. You should get Barry Norman's old job. <laughs> That'd be good, wouldn't it? Um, Film twenty twenty. Hello, and here we are. And uh, this this next film stars the that actress with the red. <laughs> <laughs> the red-headed lady is spiral like you know. Her name is Audrey Fleurot. Of course, you've looked that up. 
Yeah. You've just lived that. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. up. And uh, she's, she's, she's really good. But the, the TV series, it starts off with this little called Le Bizarre de la Charité, and it's, there's a fire in this um, building where there's a charity event going on, and um, mm-hmm. all, these, all these women die in the flames, and the story goes off about three of the women and how they're affected by it. It's really, really interesting. I think she's, she's very good in Spiral, and I love the Spiral's French name, which is Engrenage. Oh, no, it's great. You can say that one with a real can't you? Oh, Engrenage. Doug, Douglas, you say that now, please. Sorry, what was that, Michael? I think Douglas should try and say that. I'd like to hear his French accent. I spent about three minutes talking um, my imperfect <laughs> French imperfect French to a taxi driver in, in, in Brussels in last October, right. uh, feeling very proud of myself, and it turned out he was from the Gambia and <laughs> didn't understand the word. However, that's that aside. Now, so... Um, you've we've covered the television situation. Future plans, Michael. What does twenty twenty hold for you? Uh, well, finishing this book. Um, I'll just remind you all. It's called a song of isolation. Um, yeah, we uh, And also working on my hypnotherapy business. Um, I'll be working out of a clinic in Presswick called the Carrick Clinic. I'll just give me a wee punt. Um, great bunch of people. They're all doing sort of amazing things to help people in the local community, and I'm really looking forward to working with them. Actually, good stuff. That's that's excellent news. And uh, your current novel, which is out at the moment in the absence of miracles, is for sale in all good bookshops up and down and the it's land. Actually, and on... it's actually, I think it's ninety nine pence on that their Kindle thing. So, moment, so, is my, so, so is my so is my my breath and dying embers at the moment on I, that Kindle how do you thing. Feel about the discount things on this Kindle thing. <clears throat> uh, it's fine if I mean with breath and dying embers, which is currently ninety nine pence on Kindle, it's a price match to Kobo. So Amazon do that at their own loss, I believe. Yes. Um, so that's the ideal situation to have. But, uh, you know, I think there is a discussion to be had about this and the whole price structure on, on e-books um, and whether or not people are being uh, educated to think that they should only buy a book for 99 pence. However, to get noticed and for a young writer, I think that coming up, I would have, wouldn't have got anywhere near where I am had it not been for Kindle. Because the uh, Polygon, my, my dear publisher, and indeed Douglas's too, managed to get a number of deal, really good deals at the right time with various books of mine as they came out, and it really shot me up there, like you, like you did in, in 2012 when you got up in the, into the top, mm-hmm. the top echelons of the Kindle rankings. I mean, Whiskey was number one in the Kindle rankings, and and uh, and because of a deal. And let's be honest, that's the way the way those things happen. If you look at most of the, the, the Kindle books at the top of the rankings now are, are unlimited because they're always at that price. But, um, yeah, it's, it's a very interesting point. I, I do think, <clears throat> pardon me, that the people should be paying. The, the, people have to realise that authors have to live. Yeah, and absolutely. The, the plain fact of it is that 95% of people who are writing books for a living are not making a living. 
um, and they have to do something ancillary to 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 you know to in order to keep it make ends meet. Um, and I, I've been very fortunate that I'm able to to carry on boldly, just sitting writing all day and, and looking out the window and things, and avoiding Douglas's daybed. However, uh, you know, if, if the, the the situation with with ebooks, I think some ebooks are overpriced. I heard an argument today that some people are charging eleven, twelve quid for ebooks, which I think you consider they don't have to be printed or warehoused or transported or or designed. Mm-hmm. You know, all the rest of things, I need, a, a real book has to be but a think, ridiculous think, Well, no, I, I kind of, I think it's all a, of a one thing. It's a, it's a book, and it costs the same to get that book out there, regardless of whether it's print or e-book. It's still, still got the same cost to get it to that particular point. Obviously, you don't have the warehousing or the printing, but you do have all the other costs that are associated with getting the book there. Yeah, so I, I, I think the, the publishers have to find a way of getting the money back, and if that involves placing the ebook that, then that, that's their choice. And I don't think it's a wise one, but um, I can see why they might do it. You know, I mean, I think the plain fact is, if you price an ebook at over six pounds now, and you're not a big name, you're not going to sell oh, any. I, oh, mean, I think that, yeah, I think that's just the way. I like it, I loathe it. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying, calling it as being fact. Um, I think that, that also audiobooks are making a big inroad into people who are probably more ebook readers than were print print readers. That's just from what I've read, um, read from various sources. Douglas, what's your thoughts on this? I agree with with what you've said. I mean, it's. <clears throat> I think that there are readers out there who will not pay anything more than 99p for a book and they, they, on Kindle they just won't pay it uh, that doesn't help us, that doesn't pay you know, my electricity bill or, or, or my rent or anything like that if I've got to sell them constantly 99p um, I think, I mean, you, you said £6 I'll actually even go lower I, I, I think anything that's over a fiver or, or anything between 4 and £5 unless you're a big name um, is is going to find it hard to, to make any dent on the, the Kindle rankings. Um, again, like Michael, I'm not saying this is right or wrong in any way. That's just the way it is. Yeah, it's I'm just... just looking at Stephen King's latest. His uh, paperback £10, or hardback, sorry, is £10, and his Kindle book is £10.99. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, so, uh, you know, that's you know Stephen the, 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 yeah, that's Stephen King. There's been a... There's been an obvious standoff between the big publishing houses, the big five or six publishing mm-hmm. houses, and Amazon. Uh, and I'm th- something that, that annoys me is I, I hear quite a lot of people arguing for, "Oh, you're just corporate. I mean, you just become corporate because the public, the big publishers, and not realizing that they're defending probably one of the biggest corporations in the world, i.e., Amazon itself." Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I think that the, the, the big six have fought back against um, Amazon in this race to the bottom in terms of price. Uh, and I think that um, <clears throat> even they would admit that some ebook prices are overinflated for that reason. Uh, because they, haven't, they haven't been fighting very effective. How long is this? How long has Amazon had control of the ebook market? <clears throat> and you'd have thought, when you look at these big five publishers, how much money they have behind them. Surely, to goodness, they, they would have the money, the people, the talent available to, to produce another vehicle 
for the readers, give them another choice. But no, they just let us all buy their own Amazon. It's just the easy way to run a business. Well, I, mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I think that you're going to try, have to try very hard to beat the Amazon model. Um, oh, I, know, I know, but way back when it first started, yeah, yeah, that's the foresight to see this is this is let's set up a competitor. Well, well, I remember when when I first saw an e-reader, and it wasn't. I mean, it was like twenty ten or something, and and I thought, no, that's never going to take. Nobody's going to want to read a book in that. How wrong I was, you know, and and I've got nothing against people who prefer Kindle or any e-reader to to print books because, you know, I think there's room for everything. But oh, absolutely. We're talking about... You're reading, I don't mind. Just read what you want to read. Doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, I used to read. I used to read the cornflake packet when I was a wee boy because I had a very bone. Had a very dull life. <laughs> um, but D- D- Douglas, have you anything finally to say on the on the the, the Kindle or or e-reader? No, guys, I, th- I think you've you've covered it, Michael. You know, I, I, Michael and I have talked about this uh, for a number of years um, and said the same. Why didn't the, the publishers come together and come up with their own outlet? But, but they didn't do it. Um, so now it's just a, a matter of, of just trying to do the best that we can. Uh, but readers have to understand that authors have no control over the price. We don't set the price, and we can't no. set the price. That's down to uh, the publishers and, to an extent, Amazon as well. Well, I think that just about covers it, gentlemen. Today's guest has been Michael Malone. Michael, thank you so Michael J. Malone is your published name. Thank you so much for coming or not coming or just being in the ether to <laughs> I'm see Tom. us. I'm Tom. I'm <laughs> it's an absolute <laughs> pleasure anytime and and your books are widely available um an absence of miracles being the most recent and watch yep. out for michael's latest book which he's working on at the moment which is called michael a song of isolation a song of isolation coming your way soon and thank you to douglas skelton just for being himself thank you douglas <laughs> it is my pleasure to be myself <laughs> <laughs> reclining on the daybed and with that image thank you for listening to spooks this has been a house of seal production on anchor please follow us and subscribe on your podcast player of choice thank you and goodbye